0: Hey there, listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in to e Union. I am your host, Emily, and I know it's been a while and I apologize. Trust me, I missed you just as much as you missed me. Possibly more. Hopefully around the same amount. Hopefully you missed me. Anyway, it is good to be back here and talking to you folks about culture and life and religion and politics and all the things you're not supposed to talk about at a Thanksgiving dinner. But here's the thing, maybe actually we should talk about it more, but not like we need to have a real conversation about race, you know, not in like that kind of way that everyone wants us to have like conversations about things, but just like we should be able to talk about things. And as you know, I like to think of this podcast as a conversation between me and you to give us the opportunity to talk about the things we don't have an opportunity to talk about, to think about things in a different way so that hopefully we can all just be a little bit nicer to each other. My one-liner thought for the week. Don't listen to old white men, they tell us, like George Washington and Thomas Jefferson. Meanwhile, they're listening to old white men like Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, and Karl Marx. The whole don't listen to dead white men or old white men thing is so disingenuous. Clearly, when it comes down to it, the left isn't as racist or ageist as they are in many other circumstances, but they actually just care about the issues because if they really didn't like white people as much as they tell us they don't like white people, Joe Biden wouldn't be president right now. But like the rest of us, what we care about is the ideas, not the age of the person that is coming from or the race or the gender or anything else. For those of you who do say, don't listen to old white men, can we please add Karl Marx to that list because of all the dead white men we shouldn't be listening to, he's like, way the heck at the top. I've never understood people who say they don't like learning history, and I had classmates who made that comment in high school and in college, and really of all the subjects, history is the one that everyone should want to learn. Maybe not the same periods in history. Everyone might be intrigued by different eras, and that's perfectly reasonable. But everyone should be interested by history because history, it's who we are and where we come from. And yes, it teaches us lessons and those who don't learn history are doomed to repeat it. And it's so true, but it's not just true on a global scale. It's also true on a small scale. I was reminded of this because I've read recently two historical books. I know I took a break from romantic novels every once in a while. I guess I need to read something of substance. My brain thanked me for it. Well, there were two things that I learned and I wanted to share. So the first is on a small scale, how learning history, how learning the lessons of history can help us from repeating the mistakes or at least help us understand what we're going through on a personal scale. So I am actually, this one I'm in the middle of reading, The Memoirs of Gluckel of Hameln. German name, German city might be saying it wrong. It's the memoirs of a medieval Jewish woman, a woman living in the 1600s in Germany. And it's fascinating. It's an insight into her daily life, what it was like to be a human at that time, what it was like to be a woman at that time, a Jew at that time. It's fascinating. She writes something that read like it could have leapt out of. Any baby boomer's diary. She wrote, Yes, we were as pleased as we could be with a $20 tankard, not like children are today, who want all they can get from their parents, stripping them to the bone without considering whether or not they can afford it. End quote. Interesting, right? 400 years ago, the older generation was writing about the greediness and lack of appreciation, laziness of the next generation. And this was again, 400 years ago, more than 400 years ago. So she wasn't talking about a generation that was clamoring for iPads and the newest car and Healy shoes. She was talking about a generation that, from our perspective, still had nothing and was working all day for their food and probably making their own clothes. And still they seemed unappreciative and and greedy to her. And I just thought that was so interesting, because when we're young, we complain about how older people just don't understand us, and they don't understand that we have good ideas too, and we're going to change things and make them better. And the older generation complains about the younger generation and says they don't appreciate all the work that we had to do, what we had to go through, what it was like for us, and we think we're new, we think we're special, but we're not. This has been happening for at least 400 years, and I imagine it happened all the way back to Adam and Eve. And they're looking at Cain and Abel and saying, look how easy life is for them, and they just want everything from us. They don't understand that we had to work and scrimp to get all the fruits out of off of those trees, and we had to contend with snakes who were trying to manipulate us and make us do the things that God didn't want us to do. This is just always and forever. And it was funny to read this, but it was also enlightening and refreshing, because what we're going through is nothing new. It's already happened. I find that really liberating, because going through life is scary, can be, and stressful. And to realize that the things that we're going through have been gone through before and that we're not reinventing the wheel, for me, that takes a lot of the pressure off. I understand that people have already done it, and they've lived. They've died, but they've been through it, and they've been okay. And if they could do it, then I could do it. So history repeats itself even on a small scale, on a parent-to-child scale, which I think is heartwarming, intriguing. History, as we know, also repeats itself on a large scale. And for this, I'll turn to Killing Lincoln by Bill O'Reilly and Martin Duggard, which I highly recommend. I haven't read any of Bill O'Reilly's Killing Link books. He has a whole series, Killing Lincoln, Killing the Mob, Killing Crazy Horse. Uh, this one I read for a book club that I'm in with some friends, and it was really well done. Written in a somewhat narrative style, so it wasn't just straight history, which made it easier to get through. Very well written and a real page turn. Even, even though we all know that Lincoln's going to be assassinated and we all know who assassinates him and where, I still found myself wanting to turn the page because I needed to know exactly what was going to happen and how it was going to happen. To know how a book's going to end and still want to flip the page, it's pretty good. Anyway, I was, as I was reading it, it's the end of the Civil War, like the very, very end of the Civil War. Like Lee surrendered at Appomattox Courthouse. And then just a few days later, Lincoln was assassinated. He didn't really get to enjoy the end of the war, and he didn't get to see any of his plans for reuniting the country, which was his big focus. He just wanted everyone to come back together. His plans, his leniency towards the South, he was planning to be very lenient toward the South. It's very interesting. Actually thought a lot about what it must have meant to live in the South at the time and what that inherited trauma must have done to the South and why the South or some people living in the South must have some of the feelings they have today. You know, the war happened in their home. It didn't happen in the North. It happened there and cities were devastated, right? It was a scorched earth policy. And yes, the fight was over slavery, but it was still people's Homes and cities and towns burned, and that's that's not a small thing. And that sort of stuff can take a lot of time to get over. And it's you know the people are still into the south will the south will rise again. I mean that might be a little bit much, but it is interesting to think about. It's interesting to try to empathize and to look at things from a perspective that is not your own, because it enables you to see that people are people and. Their motives might not be your motives, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're bad motives. Anyway, I thought about the South a place that I really haven't spent a lot of time, so I'm not commenting on from any position of intelligence. Most of what I know about the South comes from media, so it's probably incredibly inaccurate. But it's just interesting to think about what that might have done to certainly the generation that lived through the war, and then their children and Children's children, that sort of stuff doesn't go away so quickly. Anyway, our country was at war, right? We fought each other. Brother fought brother. In fact, one of the interesting things that was in the book, right after Lee surrendered, there were Union soldiers there in the room, and they asked Lee if they could go walk across the Confederate lines because they had friends that they had and family members that. They'd been fighting against for the past four years, and they haven't seen them in a while. And they want to see them like immediately because this, you know, we think of the north and the south, but that dividing line is close, and people still, you know, you might have lived in south but gone to school in the north, or vice versa, done business dealings together, family moved. So people were really fighting against each other, and they were kind of ready to be done and see their family members. It's I thank God have never been in a war, never been in the military, and I don't have any close family members who have been directly in combat, and I don't think any of us who haven't can really fully understand what that can do to a person. Anyway, my point really in talking about this book is that the country was at war. We were divided. The president was assassinated. People make this comment all the time, that we're- this is the mo- today say this is the most divided we've ever been, and people keep on talking Well, what, if there's another civil war, please God, that should never happen. But we're so divided and constantly talking about we're divided, we're divided, we're divided. Well, a few things. First of all, yes, we are very divided, but clearly there was a time when we were more divided because we did actually go to war. Secondly, yes, we're divided now, but we've always been divided. Right from the very beginning of the country's founding, there was division. There wasn't even unanimity... Amongst the colonists about revolting against England, let alone agreeing on the Articles of Confederation or the Constitution. I mean, have you seen Hamilton? We've never been united 100% because that would be ridiculous for a group of people to be united 100% because we all have our own thoughts and beliefs and opinions. We have general principles that we all agree to, hopefully, you know, liberty equality before the law, rule of law, justice, one nation under God, and I know that one's controversial, inalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know, we have some basic values that we all agree with, but even then, we know that not everyone agrees with those then and now, unfortunately. People still talk about how divided we are, but we've always been divided. Are we really more divided now than ever before? I don't know, maybe just because people keep on saying that we're so divided. We agree, oh yeah, 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 we're so divided. But I don't know, maybe we're not. When we walk out in the streets, are we pretty comfortable that we can wear a necklace with a cross or a necklace with a Jewish star and no one's going to give us a hard time? We can wear a turban on our head or a hijab or an Astros baseball cap and we'll probably be fine. Well, maybe not an Astros baseball cap. I'm sorry, that one was controversial. We can eat at any restaurant, work any place. And yes, I know there are things. I know there are fights right now about requiring people to get a COVID vaccine or being out in public without a mask. Yes, there are things. But also, I've been out places not wearing a mask the majority of the past two years or however Long this whole godforsaken thing has happened, I shouldn't say godforsaken. I don't think god forsakes anything, but you all know what I mean. And only once has someone given me a hard time for not wearing a mask. I, twice, in like two years, and I really almost never wear a mask. So yes, we're divided in that we all have our own thoughts and opinions, and we'll take to Twitter about it. I think Dave Chappelle said something. I think this was Dave Chappelle. I hope I'm giving him the right credit. He said something like he doesn't care what happens on Twitter because Twitter's not a real place. I like that. So, yeah, people take to Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and say stupid things. And if you read the New York Times and editorial columns, people say stupid things. But when we actually talk about our day to day lives, people just live it. And think about it this way, and this might sound really dark. We went through four years of President Trump, and he wasn't assassinated. I'll be honest, I 100% thought that he was going to be assassinated or that someone was going to attempt. Too. And maybe there were attempts, you know, and the Secret Service caught it before it happened. Obviously, those sorts of things might happen. We don't know about it. But people hated him, still do. And that didn't happen. Meanwhile, people loved Kennedy. People loved Lincoln. I mean, people hated them also, clearly. But in a weird way, I feel like we're actually kind of doing okay. And maybe if we stop listening to the people who told us that we're so divided and just. Like, not even in the way of let's focus on what unites us. I mean, yes, we should focus on what unites us. Like, we're all just trying to work so that we can live a lifestyle that we want. And we all basically want to be left alone to do our own thing. But what if we just don't listen to the people who tell us we're divided? Because maybe they have an interest in telling us that we're divided. Maybe by telling us that we're divided, they hope to further divide us. Maybe we're actually not as divided as we think. Just a thought. Speaking of not as divided as we think, recently BLM, Black Lives Matter, for those of you not in the know, came out against vaccine mandates because vaccine mandates disproportionately affect Black people. I think it was specifically they were arguing in New York because in New York right now you have to show your vaccine card to get into restaurants and Black people and probably Hispanics too and maybe other people of color, forgive the term because you know how I feel about it. Are disproportionately being affected because they are actually more likely not to get the vaccine than white people. And I know the news likes to paint anti-vaxxers as white Southern Trump supporters. And I'm not saying that the people who aren't getting the vaccine are Trump supporters. I'm just saying that they're not all white hillbillies. There's a broad swath of people who have chosen not to get the vaccine for a variety of reasons. BLMs. Theory is that Black people, specifically, and again, Hispanics are also less likely to get the vaccine. So, this could be related because they have a not so great history with the medical community because of access issues in the past or inappropriate testing, or for a whole host of reasons. The Black community doesn't have a great relationship with the medical community. So, they're a little bit hesitant about the vaccine. So, they're not getting it. So, now they don't have their vaccine cards and they can't do things. Whether or not that's the reason why Black people aren't getting vaccines, or because they've decided, my body, my choice, or because they don't like being told what to do, or whatever, whatever reason anyone isn't getting the vaccine. The point is, Black people and Hispanics are less likely to get it, and therefore, Black Lives Matter doesn't support vaccine mandates. Guess what? I also don't support vaccine mandates. And isn't that interesting? Because... Here, I thought I would never agree with Black Lives Matter, and now we found something to agree on, which is just another example maybe that we're less divided than we think, and I was hesitant to say that I don't agree with Black Lives Matter generally because I don't like it when people say, oh, I disagree with literally everything Nancy Pelosi says except this one thing, or, oh, I disagree with everything Trump believes except for this one thing. Because disagreeing with literally everything that someone believes or says is probably highly unlikely. And it might come down to minute things, but 100% it's, it just doesn't happen. And here I am proven correct and wrong in my assessment of BLM, at least somewhat, because we agree on something. And in fact, maybe we agree on more Then I realize, and our tactics are different. And well, we disagree on a lot. But you know what? That's okay because we agree on this one thing. And I'm going to focus on the thing where we agree. And I think that's okay. I think sometimes people have a problem when you only agree with someone on one thing and not on everything else. Like you're being disingenuous or a hypocrite. No, I'm not going to agree with everyone on anything and some people I'm going to agree with them on more things than others and some people there might be one big issue on and everything else we're sort of not on the same page that doesn't mean I'm disingenuous it means I know exactly what my beliefs are and in this turning of the wheel BLM lines up with my beliefs and as I already said probably our how we've reached the conclusion of these beliefs is not the same but Who cares? We're both fighting vaccine mandates, and I will support them, or at least support the idea. I guess it depends upon how they plan to do it, because I think violence was mentioned, and as we know, violence. uh, To get across political aims is not really my cup of tea. But I just think it's interesting to realize that we can agree with people that we wouldn't expect to agree with, and maybe we should listen a little bit more to what people have to say instead of just assuming we know what they believe and what they would say, because we might actually be surprised and we might find unlikely allies. And even if we're just allies in one instance, isn't that better to be allies in one instance than enemies in all instances? It's back to focusing on what unites us and not what makes us different, which is a classroom poster cliche, but sometimes classroom poster cliches have a lot to teach us like my favorite cliche, which I think should be up in all classrooms, always be a little kinder than necessary. Thank you for listening to E Pluribus Unum. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and a review. And please share the podcast with anyone you think would benefit from some common sense and thoughtfulness. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram at E Pluribus Unum Podcast. You can also find me on Locals at Podcast.locals.com. The intro and end music is Chopin's Etude Opus 10 number 1 in C major known as the Waterfall Etude.